Today's episode is brought to you by the U.S. Bank Altitude Go Visa Signature Card. To learn more, visit usbank.com slash altitude go. Today's episode is brought to you by Wise, the account that helps you manage your money around the world, which is huge for travelers. I've been a customer and a fan for 10 years. The Wise account helps you send, spend, and receive in different currencies fast, and they do it all without hidden fees or exchange rate markups. This service has been so critical for me in my life as a traveler, as a nomad, as somebody living abroad, and you can join 16 million customers and learn how the Wise account can help you out on the road at wise.com slash travel. That's wise, W-I-S-E dot com slash travel, or download the app. This episode of Zero to Travel is brought to you by the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder with seven drive modes. The Pathfinder's available intelligent 4x4 is built for even the most epic journeys. Learn more at NissanUSA.com. I love how imposter syndrome has been brought to the surface uh, these days, and it's not something that's like hidden. Uh, and the more you talk to hyper successful people or people who are just like social media stars or have you know incredible podcasts or whatever it is, and you you look to them from the outside, and then you have a deeper conversation, and you're like, "Oh, good, we're all imposters. <laughs> we all don't know what the hell we're doing." <laughs> it's not as simple as just flipping a switch and saying, "Okay, we just take all these." things that we've been doing in the office and we and we migrate them to a remote setting, give everybody a laptop and a Zoom account and boom, we're good, right? <laughs> uh, it, uh, it just unfortunately doesn't work well that way. That was a clip from my interview today with Chase Warrington, who is an American expat living in Spain with his wife, Allison, and their dog, Coda, who also has a passport. And his travels have been sustained by his remote work career. So two big topics really emerged from this interview. One is that idea of creating a life abroad, what that's like and how you can do it. And secondly, a focus on remote work. So some of the things we cover in this conversation, how to overcome perceived risk around long-term travel or moving abroad, why there's always a reason not to travel and a mindset that can help you conquer that, bouncing that desire between continuing to travel or settling down and getting plugged into a community, why Spain is such a great place to live. We talk about decision-making using your intuition versus your practical mind. And as Chase is a self-described, quote, remote work super nerd, of course, we get into all that, how to trim the remote work fat and what that means, advice for landing, not just a remote job, but the right kind of remote job. He shares his favorite remote job boards, how to scale a remote team. We talk about what it means to humanize remote work, how to brainstorm across time zones with no set meetings so you can have more freedom, and how to intentionally use other systems to create a better lifestyle abroad, and so much more happening in this show. Plus, I'm going to share the best definition I've heard of the moment when a city really comes to life for us as travelers it's pretty cool. And I'm going to share a shout out to a listener here in this community who got me back to a practice that really sets a positive tone for me each day and what that practice is. All of that and more happening in today's show. Yes, right now. So buckle up, strap in. Thanks for being here and welcome to the Zero to Travel podcast, my friend. You're listening to the Zero to Travel podcast, where we explore exciting travel-based work, lifestyle, and business opportunities, helping you to achieve your wildest travel dreams. 
And now your host, world wanderer and travel junkie, Jason Moore. Hey there, it's Jason with ZeroToTravel.com. Welcome to the show. Thanks for hanging out, letting me bring a little travel into your ears today. This is the show to help you travel the world on your terms to fill your life with as much travel as you desire, no matter what your situation or experience. How are you doing today, my friends? Hope all is well wherever in the world you are today. I wonder how many places have you called home? that you've considered home. You know, sometimes I don't even think you have to quote unquote live somewhere to to have a place that you consider home. If you have an answer to that question, want to get in touch or you just want to say hi, you can always drop me a line, jason at zero to travel.com or just click that link in the show notes to leave me a voicemail. Let's talk about today's guest, Chase Warrington. He's called half a dozen countries home and is passionate about making location independence the new standard and helping others build a life beyond their borders. And one of the ways he does that is through his podcast about abroad, which delivers inspiration, adventure, and practical how-to advice for those who want to explore life in various corners of the globe. We talk a bit about the podcast experience for him and all the stuff I mentioned before around creating a life abroad and remote work. And one of the things that comes up in this interview He shares his word of the year, which I am totally stealing from him. I used to do this. It's been a little while since I've done this where you pick a word for the year and that's sort of like your theme for the year and it can change throughout the year. But when I heard his, I thought, man, this is the perfect word for me right now. So I'm stealing it from him. You'll hear that in this interview as well as a personal thing that I did to force myself to take more risks, which is a topic that comes up in this show early on, this idea of risk and perceived risk and how we can overcome what we may perceive as uh, risky behavior. But if we don't overcome it, we're not able to sort of live the lives that we want or do the things that we may want to do next. So that's a topic as well as a a slew of other stuff. Uh, I love the chat and I hope you enjoy it as well. And as I mentioned, Chase is a remote work expert. He's the head of remote at a company called Doist. They're a remote first company, and he's a regular contributor to several of the world's top remote work outlets. So lucky to have him here to pick his brain on that as well. Now, before we get into it, I do want to share a practice I got out and did today that was inspired by a listener of this show. And I thought, hey, this reminds me of this thing I used to do that I haven't really done in a while. I'm going to get out and do it and maybe something you want to try and experiment with as well to kickstart any of your days this week. Okay, this shout out is a review I got titled Inspiring Podcast from, say, Gul KGS. I'm not sure what that username means, but it was a nice review, which said, my favorite podcast, fascinating new guests every week who are doing all kinds of inspiring things around the world. It's inspired me to travel more, think in new outside the box ways and find more gratitude. Thank you for that. And the word gratitude was the thing that sprung up. So this morning, I have a lake nearby my house and I did what my friend Emily calls a gratitude walk, which is a great way to start the day. You just take a walk. For me, it was around the lake. Can be around the neighborhood, can be around the block, whatever down the beach if you got one nearby and just think about the things you're grateful for while you're walking. Very nice, peaceful way to start the day. Uh, Really sets a positive tone. You start right away getting into that mindset of just appreciating the things you already have. 
and just a great way to go into the workday and record uh, some podcasts today for you. So I just wanted to share that, that this review and that word gratitude kind of sparked that uh, for me. I think I got to get out there and do a good old fashioned gratitude walk. So if you haven't taken a good old fashioned gratitude walk in a while, you can even take this podcast with you right now and go for a walk. Thank you so much for the review and for inspiring me. And if you ever want to leave a review, those are always nice to get. Nice thing to wake up to, and they help get the show out there. So feel free to do that anytime you want. Let's slip and slide into the interview portion now. Stick around on the back end. I do want to share that moment when a city really comes to life for the first time for a traveler, when a traveler really sees that city for the first time. This is a a paragraph that I read in a book recently in one of my favorite genres, and this really jumped out to me as something I needed to share on the podcast. thought it might resonate with you. Uh, stick around for that. We'll also leave you with a quote as well to send you off. Uh, until then, enjoy the interview, and I'll see you on the other side, my friend. Excited to have you here, Chase Warrington. Welcome officially to the Zero to Travel podcast, my friend. Great to be here. So uh, I know you went to Appalachian State University in Boone, North Carolina. I once got a bluegrass t-shirt there. Oh, nice. But no, when I went through there, I was like, this is a really cool town. And it almost, I lived in Boulder, Colorado for a while. And I kind of liken Boone as the boulder of North Carolina, at least. I don't yeah. know if that's fair to say. Because I mean, you spent four years there. I'm guessing. Is yeah, that- I did a I did a super senior semester as well. Uh, there was one more football season in me, um, and football's big down in Carolinas and uh, and Boone in particular. The Appalachian State f- football team is really good, and it was really good, especially when I was there. And so uh, there was a lot of liveliness around there. So I said, I, I'm going to add this minor, this international business minor, and come back for a of uh, one final semester. So yeah, I did almost five years. See, I did one final semester because I I wasn't smart enough, I guess. (laughs) I didn't add anything on. I just needed one final semester to finish. (laughs) I just gave you the excuse I gave my parents. Come on. I I wanted another football season, uh, so I needed a minor to make it happen. (laughs) Good on you. Yeah, I think my – I never heard it called a super semester. Would you call it a super Uh, senior? I think they called it a super senior year. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I know one of my classes was volleyball, so that – I took snowboarding, believe it or not, and and yeah, there in Boone, in North Carolina, people are always amazed that we had uh, that we had skiing and so like there's there's mountains there, and uh, so yeah, I took snowboarding. Uh, that was one of my favorite classes, obviously. <laughs> Why should people travel to North Carolina? Let's start with a little travel destination. Yeah, I, actually, I was interested. I was listening to one of your podcasts recently, um, where you uh, the the craft beer tour. Uh, people that lived in the RV and uh, they resonated with me on a lot of things, uh, except that they listed Asheville as number 10 on their list, um, which yeah. clearly it's a top What's fiver. I mean, Come on. We, we have a conversation <laughs> to have about this. But anyway, I lived in Asheville for a while as well. Um, and, uh, and so, you know, I'll just kind of start with that part of the state because, you know, it's off the beaten path. I mean, North Carolina is not where I'm going to recommend somebody go if they're making their first trip to the U.S. There's, there's plenty to see. But um, one of the things that people don't realize is, is the beautiful mountains. I think uh, like eight of the top 10 peaks on the, the highest peaks on the East Coast are in North Carolina. Um, so the mountain, the Appalachians that roll through there are beautiful. Um, you have some 6,000, 7,000 foot peaks there. 
beautiful in the fall, lots of colorful changing leaves and mountain biking and hiking and rivers and all that. The Great Smoky Mountains uh, National Park is there on in North Carolina and Tennessee and uh, is the most visited national park in the U.S. actually. Um, and so that part of the of the country is just insanely beautiful. And you've got some cool cities there in like Raleigh and Charlotte and in between Asheville, I think is the is the highlight. Uh, it's the craft beer capital of the U.S. a couple times here and there in the last 10 years or so. Tons of breweries, awesome culture, uh, a lot of uh, good food and, and things like that. And then if you go all the way to the other end of the state, you've got the Outer Banks. The, you know, people are always amazed that you could have these beautiful beaches and sand dunes. And then on the other end of the state, these these big rolling green mountains. So um, there's a lot to see there, actually. I mean, again, not like the place I'm going to recommend, you know, go to California, go to New York, go to Texas or Florida or wherever. But, you know, uh, check out check out North Carolina if you're looking for that that next uh, tier, I guess. Yeah, I don't know, man. I'd recommend it. You know, I, I, I just remember being on the Blue Ridge Parkway and some mist, sort of that Appalachian vibe and it's just a really cool place i guess Asheville would be more of the boulder of north carolina right but maybe boone being a mini, mini version of that but boone at the time as many years ago i visited it it was a charming little college town to me yeah it's it often gets listed in those like arbitrary lists that uh you just get excited when a place you know pops up in them is like one of the best outdoors towns uh in in uh in the U.S., so it's it is it has it's one of those places. It's got a little bit of a hippie vibe to it. It's a little college town. Like I think the population's like thirty five thousand, and the student body's like twenty thousand. So it gives you an idea. Like everything is centered around the college, and then as you expand out from that, it's just like endless mountains and rivers and lakes and um, great outdoor activities. So for the outdoors people out there, it's awesome. <laughs> had me at hippie vibe. <laughs> had me at hippie vibe. You had me um, <laughs> wait, did you grow up in North Carolina? Where did you, where were you yeah, actually raised? That, that's where I call home. Okay. I, uh, I was actually, I was born in Miami and I have a lot of family roots in Florida and have spent a lot of time there. I was actually just there uh, a couple days ago, um, visiting family. My parents live there now. Um, but yeah, North Carolina is where I, I grew up, but it's, you know, it's been a lifetime ago since I really, really lived there and called, uh, called one place home for, for all that long. So, right. Um, yeah. Well, you live in Spain now and how long have you been there? Uh, I've been in Spain. So Spain is actually, I've been here for a little over four years and this is the longest I've lived in one place since leaving North Carolina for, for college. So, um, yeah, it's, uh, it's kind of become home on, on accident. I came here for one year and I've, been here for and I'm, I'm uh, kind of staying for a little while at least. <laughs> Which town? Is it Valencia? Yeah. yeah because Valencia. I read that you had lived in, I think you said a half a dozen countries. Yeah. Uh, for uh, Give us the, the overview of your travel timeline, I guess. Did you just take off right after college and start living abroad or how did that work for you? Yeah, it's interesting. I So I kind of did one of these like about faces in life where I graduated from college thinking that travel's a young person's game. And so during college, like I'd never left the US before going to college, but I had this like desire to, to travel and I knew that I was going to and kind of prioritized that when I went to school. Like I'm going to make sure I find good study abroad programs and internships abroad and things like that. And I thought that's my time. These are my years to travel because after that you have to settle into suburbia and, and, uh, you know, get a real life. So I, I thought that at first and, um, went on, started a little, 
a, a career where I had my, you know, 10 days a year of vacation, which I would max out and travel over to Europe or down to Latin America or whatever. And, um, and it just, it wasn't enough after, you know, a few years of that, my wife and I, uh, had followed similar paths in that way, but just had a desire to travel. And we said, well, we did, wait, to. where did you guys meet? We met in college. She, she went to App State as well. Oh, okay. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. But we, and, and we both were just like, how do we do more of this vacation thing? Um, and we had really no idea how to do it. I mean, this is, you know, thir- t- what, 10, 10 years ago or so. There were only a handful of people like yourself, even, you know, at that time that were really producing content about this. I mean, it, it wasn't that long ago There, you know, who knew what a podcast was, who knew what blogs were. Um, and so there just wasn't really great content out there about how to build a location independent lifestyle. So we just kind of like sold everything and uh, like sold our house, quit our jobs. There was a little more prep work involved in that. But long story short, did that whole thing and moved to Ecuador. Which part? We were in Cuenca. We, t- we okay. set up a little base in Cuenca down in the south, which is another beautiful part of the, of the uh, world. But you guys could have moved anywhere if you sold everything and quit. Why did you go there? So we, we had our eyes set on Latin America. And for some reason, we had originally set our eyes on Santiago, Chile. I think it was, oh, it was because I had an opportunity to teach business English there in Santiago. So that was going to take us there. My wife had created uh, and still runs um, an Etsy shop that we were going to, she could run from theoretically from anywhere, uh, which turned out to not really be true. Uh, happy to elaborate on that, but Quinca Ecuador, Ecuador taught us that very quickly. Um, there are little things called import taxes that can change very rapidly in certain places. So anyway, uh, we, we decided like we're going to go to Latin America. And for some reason, Ecuador at the last minute kept popping up on these like feeds that I was on, these message boards I was looking at. And it was like, Ecuador is where it's at. That's the next place where people are going. You can live for a thousand bucks a month and stuff like that. And so we were just randomly like, hey, want to do Ecuador instead of Chile? And we'll just wing it. And so we did that. And that's sort of where our like real travel life kicked off. And then so since then, we've we've traveled around. We've lived in a, a handful of different places from depending on how you define live, you know, from six months to four years and everything in between. (laughs) So can you take off a few of the other places that you've been? Yeah, sure. Um, So spent two stints now in in Spain, some time in Ireland, China, and Austria. And then we count and we count Ecuador. We were there for about seven or eight months, I think. So spent some significant time in there in Cuenca and traveling around that country. How many years then total out, outside of your home country, kind of on, on the road? Uh, all in all, probably, I think, I, would, I guess it's about nine. Yeah, okay. Something like that. Yeah. yeah. So you just came back. I mean, you're fresh from coming back to from the States, right? Yeah. So how did that feel being back? <laughs> uh, it Do was... you long for a return to your home country at all or... No, you know what? I, I, I just miss the, the, the close connections back there. I mean, as I get a little bit older, I find myself a little more nostalgia and a little bit more nostalgia towards like family and, and some of those tight friends from, uh, from home. Some of that fades as well. You know, like uh, your, the circle gets smaller, but I, that circle gets tighter as well. And yeah, so I, I miss that. And I find myself becoming more intentional about making those trips when there's important you know, important things happening. In this case, it was a couple birthdays and an engagement and uh, just said, yeah, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to go back quick trip and, and be there for those things. But to actually live 
no. Uh, I'm I'm very I'm very happy living abroad, and I, I crave the international lifestyle way too much to to give that up. Yeah, when you were talking about your trip to Ecuador, and you said it kept coming up in the feeds and things like that, I was kind of thinking about, I guess, a bit about your thought process because that that feels a little more intuitive to me. Kind of like, hey, I'm just gonna we're gonna feel this out. Hey, what do you think? Let's make this last minute change and go to a totally different place that we hadn't even been considering. How do you approach life in that way and decision making and and kind of well, when it comes to travel, deciding where to go or work or anything? I feel like there's, a, 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 it's not black and white, right? You can't be like, I'm strictly intuitive. I'm practical and step by step, you know, usually it's a blend, but I'm just wondering on the spectrum, how you handle decisions in that way. There's a little bit of a dichotomy in my personality. I'm very calculated and I and I'm kind of afraid of risk, but I have a in a lot of ways. I'm very risk averse. And then at the same time I have this burning desire to to just go. My wife and I say that to each other all the time, like just go. Um and, and an example of this is a couple of weeks ago uh, sort of through a, a series of events of events it came up that like our our lease was coming up on our apartment in a few weeks and we had a chance to get out if we wanted and we did kind of want to go traveling for a couple months. And so we just sort of spontaneously said like, hey, let's just let's just go. Let's drop the lease. And we have a camper van here in Spain. And we're, we'll, we'll, we already had some, we had a month or two of travel planned out several months down the road. And we said, we'll, we'll piece the rest of it together. Like, let's just hit the road for four, five, six months and, and see where it goes. And, and so that was very spontaneous. But at the same time, it doesn't feel very, that, that, you know, that's, that leans into in, intuition. But at the same time, it doesn't feel so risky because we sort of know the areas we're going to go to. We've traveled a lot in Europe. Uh, we already had three or four or five spots picked out that we're like, we know where we'll go. And within a few days, we had the whole trip, you know, four or five months of, of travel planned out. And so there's a, there's a little bit of a dichotomy there, I guess. Yeah. Well, you do have a bachelor's degree in risk management. So it would <laughs> make sense that... <laughs> yeah, I was indoctrinated in it, so I didn't have a choice. <laughs> Well, what would you be your advice for somebody who is looking to mitigate their risk? I mean, I think risk or, or that fear of uncertainty is one of the things that can prevent people from making a leap to travel or entrepreneurship or whatever that is. You have to cross that bridge into the unknown. And, and this is for everybody. And even if you're an established entrepreneur, I'm using air quotes, you're going to be taking risks on maybe the next product you create or the next business you create or, you know, everybody's just trying to figure it out as they go. That's yeah. that's the that's the big secret that if you're younger and you're listening to this, FYI, nobody knows what the hell they're doing. <laughs> We're all imposters. Like I, I love I love how imposter syndrome's been brought to the surface uh, these days, and it's not yeah. something that's like hidden. And the more you talk to hyper successful people or people who are just like social media stars or have you know incredible podcasts or whatever it is, and you you look to them from the outside, and then you have a deeper conversation, and you're like. Oh, good. We're all imposters. <laughs> we all don't know what the hell we're doing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, it's, uh, yeah, but I mean, there's a certain element of, you know, you do have to take the chance to yeah. quit your job and, and sell everything and travel like you guys did, or, you know, take a remote job. We get to, we're going to talk about remote work because it's obviously one of your specialties and it would be foolish not to make that <laughs> as a big topic of this, of this conversation. Let's take a brief pause. We'll be right back. This episode is brought to you by U.S. Bank. Recently, I went out for tacos and it wasn't even Friday. 
Yes, we have Taco Friday in Norway, not Taco Tuesday. Well, more importantly, I could have earned rewards for every scrumptious bite of those chorizo soft shells. Introducing the U.S. Bank Altitude Go Visa Signature Card. Earn four times points when you go out for dining or order takeout and restaurant delivery, including tacos. Plus, you can earn two times points when you shop for or order your groceries, two times points when you need to fill up or charge up at gas stations and EV charging stations. You're even rewarded with two times points just for your favorite streaming services. Go to usbank.com altitude. Go! To learn more about how you can earn 20,000 bonus points worth $200 if you spend $1,000 in the first 90 days of opening your account. Win big with the U.S. Bank Altitude Go Visa Signature Card. Visit usbank.com slash Altitude Go to apply. Limited time offer. The creditor and issuer of this card is U.S. Bank National Association pursuant to a license from Visa USA, Inc. Some restrictions may apply. This episode of Zero to Travel is presented by the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder. From muddy jungle paths and snowy trails to rolling sand dunes, the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder has the capability to take you to some of the most epic destinations on Earth. We're excited to partner with Nissan because our listeners know we love to celebrate the joy of exploring the world and finding the best off-the-beaten-path destinations to visit. And there's no better vehicle for that than the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder with seven drive modes. The Pathfinder's available intelligent 4x4 is built for even the most epic journeys, and it even has the best towing capacity in its class, up to 6,000 pounds, so you can bring the fun with you. But Nissan also knows that it's not just about where you go. In a Pathfinder, the real fun comes from getting there, and that's something we love celebrating here on the Zero to Travel podcast. We believe that life is about finding that joy within the journey itself, and that's why we're thrilled to partner with Nissan to celebrate adventurers everywhere. So thanks again to Nissan for sponsoring this episode of Zero to Travel and for the reminder to chase bigger, better, more exciting adventures and enjoy the ride along the way. Learn more at NissanUSA.com. Now let's get back to the show. Yeah, I'm just curious how, and maybe, of course, you can only speak from your own experience, but how do you, how do you overcome perceived risk when, when you, when you feel like, okay, well, you know, something is risky. You're taking a chance. Like you can't possibly plan for all of the intangibles and the things that could happen. So you take a risk, right? Yeah. Here's, here's the thing. Like, I, I don't know if you found this and you've, you've talked to a, a million, you know, people like myself who have left everything and traveled the world or gone and gone ahead and pulled the trigger and moved abroad. And, and, and as I meet those, you know, I insert myself in those circles and talk to people who have done the same thing in various countries from various backgrounds. I very rarely meet anybody that says like, Oh yeah, this is a total disaster. You know, I'm, my, my life was ruined by this decision. It's almost always the opposite or, or something closer to the opposite where it's like, yeah, you know, I, I tried this out. It wasn't for me. So I returned home and got a job and basically I'm back where I started. And, and that's generally like the worst case scenario. What the risk that we're, people are usually assessing is this like future vision of what life is going to bring them. So I can illustrate this with, with an example. I, when I was quitting my job and I told my boss, uh, as I'm climbing the, you know, so on so-called corporate ladder, that, hey, I'm going to actually go teach, uh, teach English in Chile for a year and figure this out and make 500 bucks a month. 
Uh, and he told me you're crazy. And my and people close to me used much harsher language than that. Uh, we actually had like people do an intervention with us, uh, which was hilarious. Oh, come on. Yeah, like you guys can't do that. You can't sell the house. Really? Yeah. Listen. So this they this sat is in what, a circle and they were. Yeah, we had a group of friends come over to our house and say we really need to talk to you guys. Are you uh, you're selling your home. You're get which is only so. This is the future vision, right? You're selling your home, which is only increasing in value. Think about if you hold on to it for a couple more years. You're getting rid of your stock options, which are going to have this value. You're getting rid of the company cars that you have, which are you know such a such a luxury to have. Um, you're gonna you're climbing the ladder, and if, if you wait two more years, you're going to be making this, or you're going to be in this position. All those things were were true. Um, that that's not I'm not taking away from the fact that those are true, but. What we what we thought was those things will always be true. They're, they're gonna those little carrot at the end of the sticks always gonna be there. And I I credit my wife for this because she she kind of talked me off the ledge because there was an opportunity to stay for one more year. And I said, oh well, I could stay for one more year, get this, get that, and that would be a great situation. Um, but she said very wisely, those things will always be there. There will always be some reason, some promotion, some opportunity, some reason not to go. And if we don't go now, we'll never go. So let's just go. And and so I think that's that's that perceived risk is is mostly in our heads. And like I said, when I most people I talk to, they say, "Oh, I'm I'm so happy I finally did it," you know. And, and that's yeah. that's what I fall back on. Congrats to you guys for, yeah, I, I, there was, I never said this on the podcast, but there was a, a moment in my life where I felt like I wasn't taking enough risks and I actually would write on my arm the word risk. And I, I think I had it as like a, not a permanent tattoo, which a temporary tattoo for a couple of weeks, you know, and I just, it, maybe it was even a month and I just kept kind of going to that when I was making decisions. And I do think that that comes back to awareness, right? If you feel like you're not taking enough risks in life or, or that the fear of uncertainty is preventing you from doing the things you want to do, then perhaps it's good to have an awareness, cultivate an awareness around that and and then take actions that, I mean, you don't want to be foolish and say, I mean, I did some foolish things when I did that, by the way, too. I took some risks that did not pay off. But collectively, did they work out? Like, would you say... I would say so. I guess that's more of like a, like positive, a positive outlook on life, <laughs> right? It's like if you... yeah. I, I, I think so. Yes. Cool. Well, let's talk about remote work because a lot of this is sustainable for you because you work remotely. It sounds like you've, you've been doing that for a long time. You're head of remote. Is that correct? Head of remote at Doist, which is a productivity app. Is that correct? Yeah. yeah. I, I could give you the, the quick spiel if you want. <laughs> yeah. Well, sure. I mean, that's an interesting title. And I'm sure if you've had, I don't know how long you've had that title, but I'm sure now that title is like, it was probably like the weirdest, most obscure job title for yeah. like three years ago. And now everybody's like, oh yeah, head of remote. That makes sense. Yeah. Of course there's a head <laughs> of remote. Yeah. It was not that long ago. It was like, what does that mean? Um, and, and truth be told, we're, like I said, we're all imposters. We're all figuring it out as we go. Um, it's still relatively new. So yeah, I've, I've basically only worked remote my entire career, um, for, which is about, I guess, 13 or so years now. Was a novelty at first, I'm sure. It was. It was like the only thing that I really sought out when I was looking for my like, first job. Who lets like, you do that 13 years ago? Not many people. <laughs> uh, not, and, and you and that I think it's actually it's it's a big um, that's a big reason behind you know my why I guess you'd say like my purpose um, is I really don't think remote work needs to be this novelty. And of course now COVID has accelerated that, and it's not. You know, a lot of people have access to remote, which is awesome. 
Um, and, and with that comes global mobility and the freedom to choose where you want to live and when you want to work. And I think that all makes for a for an overall better life for everybody. But at first, it was like it was something you had to take major. You know, you had to make major sacrifices if you wanted a remote job 10, 15 years ago. You were you were passing on more prestigious careers, money, uh, perks, things like that. And the, the perk was that you got to work from home. And and that may literally have just meant working from home. And that's what it was for me at first. I got to travel and stuff, but it was just, you know, you don't have to come into the office. And that was good enough for me. Um, but that that evolved over time. I needed eventually I really just needed full location independence and um, and just to choose when and where I, I worked from, and, and so at Duist, we're a, we're a company of about a hundred people that's in thirty five different countries, and we legitimately don't care where you work from. Uh, everybody comes and goes as they please. We just expect the work to get done, and and that's it. So that was the atmosphere I was looking for, and I've been there for a little over six years now. And uh, and remote work is is core to who we are. Location independence and all that is is very much baked into the company DNA. But part of what I do is is advocating for that to be more the norm at, at other companies and then helping those companies, you know, figure out how to do it because it's not easy to switch from the old mindset to the to the new mindset. There's a lot that goes with that. So um, it's a it's a lot of fun. Well you mentioned the word sacrifice and everything comes with sacrifice and I think that remote work does as well. So what would you say are the cons of remote work? Some of the sacrifices of working remotely that, yeah, I mean, you can only speak from your personal experience, but. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I think uh, w- most of the cons can be overcome with a, with a high set of intentionality. So if you approach those cons and you say, how are we going to overcome them? Um, then they can be, they can be overcome. But mo- the problem is most companies, most organizations, and even individuals will look at those downsides, uh, which we'll use, for instance, like human connection, team camaraderie, um, as, as one of those things that you sort of miss out on, right? When we don't see each other, uh, when you work asynchronously as, as we do, meaning like we don't expect immediate responses a lot. So we don't have a lot of face-to-face meetings, even virtually. We only see each other once or twice a year in person, which is even kind of a novelty amongst, uh, remote teams. It's hard to build that, that team camaraderie. So you have to really be intentional about, okay, how do we create serendipitous conversations on a on a remote team? How do we create space for people to connect both virtually and in real life, both synchronously, like a video call and asynchronously over over chat? Um, so you have to create those situations, whereas they just sort of happen in a co-located office setting. Um, isolation and burnout are, are two things that happen as, a lot as well. A lot of <laughs> a lot of new remote employers tend to think like their first inclination is like, uh, yeah, Chase, but like, how do I know that people are working? Like, do I need to like track their mouse movements? Or can I, um, can I set up some sort of like surveillance state to make sure that they're, that they're, you know, doing their work? And I'm like, no, no, you just, you just check their work. Uh, that's generally the best way to know if they're working. Um, but the, like that, that's something that a lot of remote leaders will go to. And if you if they go down that road, it can create a very a very tense situation for the employees. They tend to burn themselves out. Then they work. They try to prove that they're always working. They're always on. They can't disconnect. Um, so you have to again be very intentional about those things as a as an employer. I talked to somebody recently who said that their employer was had some kind of monitoring software that made sure they moved their mouse every at least once every thirty seconds. Something ridiculous. It was like. Wow, is that a real thing? 
and curse the person who built that software. Come on. <laughs> Somebody sitting really happily on a beach that like created some mouse tracking software that sold a million things on a Am- million units on Amazon during COVID. <laughs> right. And they're like, well, I just sit back and relax. No, I, I could, I could say like, actually the first remote worker that I knew was my mom, which was is crazy because she got a remote job working from home, like 20 some like 20 years ago or something, even longer than that. Cause I was I was like an early teenager, but it was exactly like that. Like she had to ask to go to the bathroom. Her boss would just ping her and be like, hey, are you there? And like she had to respond within 10 seconds and she had to, they had her mouse tracked and stuff like that. So I think I just had like a natural aversion to like, that is not the way to work. It's horrible. <laughs> yeah. And it's not productive. <laughs> well, how do you cultivate that? You mentioned all the things you need to do to, to create that environment. You need to have the space for the conversations and the connection and things like that, the things that are lacking inherently in remote work. How do you foster that vibe or that culture with a team? I think the, the first thing to recognize, and we try to be really take this really seriously is like, we don't expect you, you don't have to be best friends with, with everybody you work with. Like maybe it's okay if we if we ha- employ people who want to have a life outside of work i think there's a lot of inherent wisdom that tells us you know company happy hours and weekend picnics and uh, and things like that you know meetings like get togethers are are the norm and that everybody loves them but the truth is there's a huge percentage of the population who are very introverted um, who prefer to, to keep their social life and their work life separate and and so they're perfectly okay working that way and and so i think that's one of the things that is okay to address first. Um, we want to create those situations for the people that crave it, but we want to leave everything very optional. All the activities that we do at, at Duist, um, whether they be virtual or in person are 100% optional. You don't have to attend. There's no, there's no underlying, uh, judgment. If you're not there, you know, that pressure to attend or the, or the FOMO. Got to show face. Yeah. You don't, you don't get any extra credit for, for being there for just showing up. Um, and this is sort of baked into the, to the way that most remote organizations operate is like, you just get credit for the work that you do and all the peripheral stuff that exists in a more co-located, uh, environment as basic as just showing up to work. Like often people just show up and they don't actually produce a lot, but you get a lot of credit for sitting there for eight hours. Um, this kind of goes away in a remote environment as does showing up for the happy hour. And, uh, and, you know, glad handing for, for a little bit. So we create those spaces. Um, we, we, we offer events like we did a cooking class. One of my coworkers in, from Pakistan did a cooking class teaching us how to make a traditional dish. And then we spent an hour, about 15 of us from nine or 10 different countries learning how to make this traditional dish. We have asynchronous spaces uh, in our communication tool for people to share travel stories and travel photos and, and gardening tips and parents tips and things like that. So we're giving people places to connect naturally when they when and where they choose to. And um, I actually wrote a blog post on this that lists like literally every little detail that we uh, that we do and how we do it. So it's quite lengthy, but it can go into much more detail than uh, than I could here. Yeah. Okay. If you we'll give that. me that link, we can link to that in the, in the show notes. Yeah. When you think about some of the things you just mentioned, we we covered a, a large spectrum, right? Because not every remote job, we'll say, remote as a remote employee is created equal. You've got on the one side, your mom having to move her mouse and ask for permission to go to the bathroom. And then on the other side, you guys talking about, well, as long as you get your work done, do whatever you want. And, and it sounds like that 
that is the healthy approach, in my opinion, is the you're utilizing the engine of remote work in a way where you're like trimming the fat, right? You're just like, hey, this is all the things that suck about working for a company. So why don't we just like get rid of all that and then also be remote? And not every company thinks that way, right? Not every individual maybe going for a remote job might just see the, oh, location independent, work from anywhere and be like, that's just, you're going to see that marquee glowing lights and you're just going to be like, yeah, here we go. So I guess what I'm looking for here is some of your advice as a remote employee for getting remote work and then getting the right kind of remote work for the lifestyle you want to lead. Yeah, that last part is is so important because not all jobs at remote companies are are created equal for for sure. And the the positive news is, is as as we were saying earlier, I feel like we're like two uh, old travel nerd, like the old men on the travel train. Like you know, back in my day, it wasn't like this, uh, but it does it does feel a little bit true because like not that long ago, like I was saying before, you know, you had to make a lot of sacrifices to to find remote jobs. And I, it doesn't really feel the case anymore. There's, there's multiple job boards out there that I would recommend that, uh, that offer awesome filtering options, depending on what you're Which looking ones for. do you like if you want so, to share? So yeah. So some of the ones that I, I really, uh, send people to one of them is called remotive remotive.io, um, is awesome. Uh, really great jobs like that. Like the, the key with all of these is that they don't just plaster every single job out there. Um, and they also offer filtering options like, you know, are you looking for fully remote or remote within the US, for instance, or remote within a certain time zone, or you have to be in the office one day a week. The remote really means a lot of different things to a lot of different people. And unfortunately, a lot of companies are using term, they should be using a term like hybrid. Um, you know, if you have, if you have to be in the office, even just one day a week, that changes what remote means a lot. Yes, you, <laughs> you can't have, live in Spain then. <laughs> yeah, I can't commute to, to back and forth to the to the U.S. Uh, every every year. So that's um, you know that there's a big spectrum there, and it's important to be able to to filter out to exactly what you want. So Remotive.io is an is an awesome website. Um, there's a, another one, Flex Jobs, which which is probably pretty well known already, and I, I think has done a really good job. We work remotely. Uh, is is the third one. They have a whole community built around the uh, the remote job search, and um, they have a Slack uh, community that's that's really active. Tons of information there. There's also some awesome remote job coaches that I that I can refer people to. One of my favorites is uh, Jordan Carroll, aka the remote job coach, who has tons of free content, but also just a lot of uh, practical tips and programs and and ways to go really deep on this. and And so. I think there, there's a lot of resources out there, not to mention a big supply of opportunities as well. No, that's great. I really appreciate you sharing the resources because that's super helpful for people listening that may want to get a remote job because working for yourself is not for everybody at every stage of life or at all, depending on who you are. How has that been for you, by the way, starting your side hustle, let's call it? I don't know if it's a side hustle or if you're what, what you would consider your podcast and like some of the, I don't know if you're doing some consulting work around remote work. Talk about that. And, and I'm curious how you got support. It sounds like you have a very supportive organization, so you don't have to hide your side hustle or, or your about broad podcast about a broad podcast from, from your employer. I imagine they're like, Oh, that's cool. You know, you're out there 
being the change seems like they appreciate that, but everybody might not be in that situation. So yeah, I guess the first part is just, I'm just wondering how it's been for you coming from like the employee background and kind of starting your own projects and things, how, how that's been for you. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I, I used to think I was very entrepreneurial, uh, and I, and I think I have a bit of that in me, but I also really, benefit from having a structure of an organization and the kind of we all row together mentality. And, and I, I, I benefit from that. So I've, I've dabbled in some entrepreneurship in, in various ways throughout the years and investing and um, starting some side hustles. My, my podcast about abroad started actually as a blog that I tried to start when I moved to uh, when we moved to Ecuador. Um, and, and I realized very quickly uh, the, although I was having some fun with it, that I wasn't really a writer. Like writing really cost me a lot of energy, um, and and podcasting wasn't as much on my radar at that time. But eventually, over the years, as I started listening to other podcasts, and and yours is one of them, actually, uh, I was really inspired to kind of continue to have this discussion. I always wanted to inspire people to to you know just go move a, move abroad, establish a life elsewhere and and then also just have conversations with people that have done it to to learn what it's like to live there. I just am personally interested in that. So that was the whole kind of why behind, you know, well I'm going to I'm going to give this a shot. I'm also a podcast junkie. I'm almost always listening to a podcast. So this was all sort of going around in my head and and you're right. I didn't have to hide it from my company. In fact, they commend it. Um, they're, they're like, this is, this is great, man. Again, there's a life outside of work. You know, it's not just you, you clock in for your 30 to 45 hours a week or whatever. And, and there's a lot of hours left to do stuff that you're really passionate about. So it goes hand in hand with my work in some ways. I mean, we talk about remote work on the podcast. Um, but, but also it's, you know, really diving into what people's lives are like living abroad and which is what I would do in my free time anyway. Um, so it's, uh, it's a lot of fun from an entrepreneurial aspect. It's been interesting to try to learn how to run my own side business. I do do some consulting. Um, I do do the, you know, the, I have the podcast, which is monetized. So I'm trying to balance all those things. And luckily I work for a productivity company. We, we have a pretty good tool called Todoist, which uh, is my second brain. So I, I manage it all in there. Yeah, right on. I mean, it's, it is in some ways it can be, two different mindsets, depending on how you approach it, the, the sort of starting your own thing, keeping it going, and then having more of a structure, like you said. And on one hand, you working for an organization, yes, there's, there's the structure, and then there's some freedom within that structure. On the other hand, on the entrepreneur side, you need to create the structure for yourself and the freedom. And, and a lot of that, and, and the things you're juggling, I'm just kind of putting myself in your shoes it comes back to a big word that's always used in when remote work comes up, I think is balance. And yeah. I'm just wondering what does balance mean to you? Balance is so overused in a lot of cases, but so critical to me. And like, I don't mind it being a cliche and also being something that's, that's like extremely vital to me. And I have to check myself against balance um, because I will naturally work my work, you know, work myself to death, I guess. I mean, I'm, very, I'm, I'm much more committed and driven by the cause that I'm involved in than, uh, than I am naturally to focus on my, on balance and what's, you know, more important in my personal life. So creating that intentionally throughout my life has been, uh, has been something that's, you know, especially as I get a little bit older, I, I find it very, very key to long-term success. I mean, I, I lean on the little quote or motto that it's a marathon, not a sprint 
quite a bit. And it's funny, you were talking about that word risk that you put on your forum. I kind of try to hone in on a word every year. Like what's my word going to be? And for two years, I made it tranquilo, which is like one of my favorite words in Spanish um, because I was just not very tranquilo. And then in Spain, they use tranquilo for like everything. Like it's not, it's not just like relax, but it's just, it's just, it's always like, no, 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 just don't worry. No, it might be how we would use no worries. But, um, that big, and I kept it for two years because I was like, I really got to be more tranquilo and, and living in Spain has, has helped me with that. I mean, it, life moves a little bit slower here and you get, you get used to realizing, you know, this, it's not that big a deal if somebody's 15 minutes late or if you take an extra day of vacation or whatever. Um, and this has been really good for me. Yeah, hold on. I'm, I'm writing tranquilo on my arm right now. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. I need that one. I'm going to steal that one from you. So can we be tranquilo uh, brothers in arms? Yeah, yeah let's be mas tranquilo arms, together. Arms, pun intended. <laughs> I was writing it on my arm. When you have to explain a joke, it's a bad one. All right. <laughs> let's talk about scaling a remote team because that is a tricky thing as well. We talked about the culture and you touched on some of the things. And maybe what ties this together is you talked about implementing emerging technologies to support distributed teams. That's one of the things you do. I got that from your LinkedIn. And humanizing remote work. So there's all of these things at play here. And it's one thing to have maybe yourself or one other person that you're working with. It's another to have a hundred people scattered across the world and in different time zones and from different cultures and living different lives. So how do you bring all that together? And, and of course, there's no, there's no perfect situation, you know, but I'm just curious what you've learned scaling the remote team as head of remote at your organization. Yeah, I've totally become a remote work super nerd. Like I, I study this stuff. Like we're we're a hundred people, which to some people sounds you know huge. A hundred people in thirty five countries. You go, oh my god, how do you how do you do that? But I'm in these circles with you know people who are leading teams with thousands and tens of thousands of people that are fully remote or distributed across you know dozens of nations, and uh, and and so I'm I'm just kind of immersed myself into this world of like, how do you do this? Because it's not as simple as just flipping a switch and saying, okay, we just take all these things that we've been doing in the office and we and we migrate them to a remote setting, give everybody a laptop and a Zoom account and boom, we're good, right? <laughs> um, it, uh, it just unfortunately doesn't work well that way. Uh, so a lot of, a lot, but I see a lot of teams go in that direction. You know, they just, they just think we're going to basically take the best practices that we used in the office and we'll apply those same processes to, to what we do remote. Um, and so that's my first suggestion to anybody thinking about uh, trying to scale a remote team or convert from a, a more co-located environment to a remote team is to meticulously, and I really mean that seriously, like meticulously pressure test every process that your company does to figure out, does this work best in a remote environment or in an, an office environment? And you'll be amazed at how many things you can find from like, what tools do we use to communicate? What are our expectations around meetings? Um, how often are we reporting and where are we reporting and when are we reporting what we're doing every day, week, month, etc. What tools are those, are we doing that via? There's so many questions you could ask yourself. And if you sit down and ask them and just kind of put them in two categories um, and then figure out how do we, okay, everything that ends up in the in-office environment category, what do we need to do to, to move that over to the remote uh, environment? And a lot of 
like the very broad stroke to paint around that, a lot of that means that you end up pushing people towards asynchronous work, um, which means like not expecting immediate responses, not leaning on meetings, both virtual and in person. And, um, and this is a big change for people. So it's, it's making those changes that are, that are key to the long-term success. Yeah, I, I know on Twitter recently, you said maybe an unpopular opinion, but for distributed teams, I now prefer async brainstorming over synchronous brainstorming sessions. Both have their pros and cons, but the benefits of async, inclusivity, transparency, deep work, et cetera, outweigh those of a synced meeting. Can you expand on that a bit? Yeah, sure. So the the natural tendency when when I say brainstorm, like, hey, Jason, let's do a brainstorm together. What do you envision? Well, I mean, we get together and we get out a good old fashioned pad and, and pen and we start riffing. Right, right. Probably, yeah. you know, we set an hour aside on our one of our calendars. Yeah. We feed and we, off of each other. You yeah. got the energy going. The ideas are flowing. It's fun. I'm yeah. always up for a brainstorm. I know. And I, and I am too. And I, and I love that energy. That energy is real and it, and it has value. Um, but I think it's overvalued. Uh, and, and the reason for that is, is it's, it's not that it's not important, but there's pros and cons with everything, right? And when it comes to brainstorming, that is the conventional way to do it. In an office setting, it would be, you know, it's 10 of us jump in the conference room uh, at 12 o'clock on Tuesday, and we got an hour to brainstorm how we're going to solve X problem. And, and so there's, there's, that sounds great, but there's a lot of problems with that. One, you only have an hour. Um, maybe, maybe I'm tired during that hour. Maybe I'm not really clicking. Maybe I had a bad, you know, bad morning or I've got other things on my mind. So that hour didn't really work for me. Now, how's everybody in that room feeling? You know, we, we just don't know. But couldn't that be an advantage when you have a time constraint and you have to get something done? There's a deliverable after a certain time. Yeah. The time constraint is important. It's an important, it's, and there's a, that's a function of the process, both in synchronous and asynchronous work. The problem there, the problems though, are that a, that that problem that uh, discussion is confined basically to those 10 people unless somebody's taking very meticulous notes and then sharing those and then other people are regurgitating those which nobody ever does uh, so transparency is reduced it's very that that conversation that conversation is really trapped in a silo also generally speaking there's some data that reflects this those people in that meeting are generally going to be swayed very heavily by one or two individuals. Maybe the the CEOs in that meeting, or maybe there's a big alpha in the room who speaks up loudly and gives a gives an idea, and then everybody just kind of latches on to that. So it leads to mediocre results. Introverts, creatives, they don't they don't thrive in that environment. Uh, so the idea behind asynchronous uh, brainstorming is to take that out of that very short confined period stretch it out over, let's say, a couple days and give people the chance to contribute when it makes the most sense for them. Introverts and creatives will thrive in this environment. They won't be put off by the, the alpha or the person who's going to give the first idea or the loudest idea. Transparency is there because you're doing it in a written place and usually in a tool like a Google Jamboard or Miro or Mural or something like that. So people are dropping ideas as they come to them and they get to do it on their terms when they're most excited. I saw somebody shared like, yeah, the best ideas usually come to me when I'm in the shower, like, or when I'm walking my dog. And, and so if you have that idea at midnight on Tuesday and you can drop it in the next morning, you're, you're setting yourself up for more success. I love that. And especially the point around the different types of personalities, because I think a lot of these corporate policies sometimes neglect the, the that fact 
that we're all different and everybody has different brains that work in different ways and thrive in different situations. So yeah, I mean, all those points are well taken. I, the next thing I build, I think is going to be 100% async because for me, it's a lifestyle thing. Like just being in Norway and having, uh, I don't want to be, I'm so tired of being on zoom calls at nine o'clock at night, 10 o'clock at night. So I, I love that you're on this side of the pond and we get to do this in the middle of the afternoon. The sun's shining. I'm awake. I've had, you know, my three cups of coffee or whatever. You know, I want to do all my work like that. So I, I love that you can intentionally put systems in place like asynchronous communication that can cater to the lifestyle you want to live. Yeah, I think it's really ideal for for people like you and I and uh, that, that love to travel and want to be able to you know, live in a different country, whether it be for a long term, like like you're doing, or to a lesser degree, like I'm doing, or for many of the people on my team who are digital nomads, and they just travel full, full time, and it doesn't matter. I, I had a guy traveling, he's from Montreal, and he had been, he was, uh, we were chatting one day, and he had been in Japan for like two months, and I had no idea, like we'd been chatting for, you know, uh, he's been traveling for three, four months at that time. So, um, there's a lot of people like that. And then we have people who are like, yeah, you know, I just wanted to relocate for the summer because I'm the winters here depress me. And so I spend the winter, I spend my winters somewhere else or somebody who said, Hey, there's a better opportunity for my kids in this country, which I can go live in. And so it's better for their family. I mean, this is what remote work and, and asynchronous work in particular can really, uh, really open up for people. There's it gives you those, it, it reduces those constraints. And, um, and so, yeah, I get, I get very excited about it for what it can hold for the future. Yeah, man. I mean, I, I'm always shocked that companies would fight against it because it's like, Hey dudes, <laughs> dudettes, whoever, how, how do you not see that you don't have to pay rent on this place every yeah. month? Like, do you want to pay the $10,000 a month thing? Like why, why would you want to do that from a business perspective? It, it, well, we get everybody together. Okay. Well, you know, get into a conference room and a co-working space once a week or something. Yeah. Just, yeah, have you thought this through? <laughs> that, that's the thing is like the, there's a con, there's a there's a downside to just about any decision. Like you can, it's it's never like you know zero sum, just a hundred percent good or bad. Uh, there are you know there are trade offs there, uh, but but the as you just mentioned, I mean you mentioned a couple of them there. Like there's so many benefits, and uh, it's it's sometimes amazing to see people hold on to an old way of working and just to not try to think through the the challenges. And I think there's a lot that can be said about that. Like just just dipping the toe in the water and seeing where it goes can can be really beneficial. I've seen organizations thrive in this way. I mean, just really turn things around and be able to attract talent is another one, like pulling in people from anywhere in the world. Uh, when you when you remove the, the couple zip codes around your office from your talent pool and you go global or even to a whole country, I mean, the, the benefits there are, are massive. So yeah, there's a lot of benefits. <laughs> we'll be right back. Would you love to have an incredible cup of coffee every day? I've tried it all. I've done the pour over. I've done the French press. But I tasted an AeroPress coffee many years ago. And immediately, I was sold. I had to get one. AeroPress is a patented three-in-one brew technology. This combines the flavor benefits of espresso, pour over, and French press all into one compact portable device built for travel or home. I love things you can use in both places. This device has over 55,000 five-star reviews in over 60 countries. AeroPress is the best-reviewed coffee press on the planet. I've owned one for so many years, I don't even remember how long it's been. And they are under 50 bucks, so they also make an exceptional gift 
thoughtful, proven, tasty, and travel-oriented. Who wouldn't love that? Now, you get 20% off just for being a listener of this show at aeropress.com slash zero to travel. That's aeropress, A-E-R-O-P-R-E-S-S dot com slash zero to travel. That will save you 20% on checkout. Thanks to Aeropress for supporting today's show. Hey, it's Jason here. Did you know you are invited to join the first ever Zero to Travel community trip? Yes, we're planning a trip together. We're headed to Morocco November 30th through December 9th. And you can get all the details at zerototravel.com slash trip. It's open for booking now. We have 13 spots left at the time of this recording. And you have until the end of March to book. So if you're interested in traveling with an amazing community, this community, a small group of people on an incredible journey through Morocco together with me. Sign up over there at zerototravel.com slash trip to get all the details. Thanks for listening and hope to see you there. Now, back to the show. Yeah, if you strip it all away, and one thing that came to my mind is if you're running an organization and you're building a remote team or you're running a remote team, I think the one go-to thing could just be, hey, well, what, what can I do to make the majority of my employees happy most of the time. If you do that, doesn't that kind of solve all the other problems, right? I mean, everybody's not going to be, you know, rainbows and unicorns all the time. But if, if your intention is, is to just have happy employees or happy freelancers or whoever you work with, isn't that kind of the go-to question for the decision-making? It should be. I mean, and I saw a, a pretty well-done survey recently. Uh, I think it was by McKinsey that listed the top reasons why why employees felt engaged or not engaged in their happiness levels within their companies. And at the very top of that list was freedom and flexibility to choose where they wanted to live. Uh, that, that, was, that was the number one thing that had an impact on their, on their engagement and their happiness levels at the, the organization. On the bottom or, or moving down that list, number eight was pay just to put it in perspective. So like one versus like you'd expect pay to be one, two or three. And that's how much more people are valuing their, their flexibility and freedom. And millennials in particular will really value this over, uh, over climbing the ladder, over pay, over benefits. They're looking for, for flexibility and freedom. So you, I mean, I almost feel like it's like a supply and demand thing. Like the market has to adapt to provide this if they want to attract top talent. Well, this goes back to your decision to make, you know, $500 a week or whatever a month to just so you could have the freedom, right? Yeah, yeah If you exactly. were going to list off like three bullet points using the 80-20 rule on uh, running a remote team successfully, like what are the three bullet point things that are absolute must-haves for an organization? Whether it's a tool, whether it's a, a process or a cultural thing, yeah, it can be anything. So I think the the first the, these are mostly mindsets or, or processes. Um, the the first one is to focus on asynchronous communication. Um, r- remove the need to to sync up. Um, if you want to have a global team, even taking away global, if you just want to have teammates in different time zones and you really want to empower your remote team, don't force them to be sitting there ready to hop on a meeting. Kids, um, no that, more meetings. Yeah. Who doesn't want <laughs> yeah. that? Yeah, just I mean, literally, who doesn't want that? Like, yeah. nobody really likes meetings. And if you really question your 
each one of them you go into, you go, how important was this meeting? Like, what did we do? I spent how much one hour. I, uh, how many times at the end of the day, you're like, oh my gosh, if only I could have had another meeting to go to. <laughs> that would have been awesome. I know. We, <laughs> we all feel this way, obviously. And and even like taking away the, the sucking of the meeting, there is all this other, there's these offshoots from that. Like if you have a remote team and you have a lot of meetings, then people feel obligated to be sitting there waiting to go into a meeting. So they're, atta- they're attached to their chat tool you know, whether it be Slack or whatever it is you're using, they're sitting there waiting to have that proverbial tap on the shoulder, like, hey, we got to hop into a meeting now. Um, this is the antithesis of asynchronous work, which which really uh, helps people focus on deep work, getting into the zone, focusing on things that are creative and actually move the needle. So there's a lot of, you know, sub topics there, but moving to, to asynchronous communication is, uh, is is absolutely critical. Also, I really recommend people don't limit based on uh, don't limit their anything based on time zones. So a lot of companies will say, okay, we'll start by just saying we're going to hire people just in the US or just on the East Coast uh, or within one hour of East Coast time. And I think you're setting yourself up for failure. Um, and a lo- not maybe failure is a little bit too strong, but you're setting yourself up for a lot of challenges down the road because what happens when that person, one of those teammates wants to move to a new country, to a new time zone. What happens when you come across somebody who is in an outlying time zone that you really want to bring onto the team? You have to redo all your processes again. So set yourself up from day one with, you know, we're going to be a fully remote team. And by that, we mean fully remote. Embrace that from the beginning and you'll build out all your best practices and tools and processes around that. I think that's super important. And then the third one is focus on transparency. All the tools you use, all the documentation, everything should promote a lot of transparency, giving people the ability to peek in on what work is happening at what time, not necessarily participate, but just be able to have visibility. Um, trapping information in silos is, is, uh, is a big no-no in the remote world. So focusing on you know how do we keep things open and, and available to the whole team. A, a good example of that is, of course, a meeting. It's trapped between two people, but it could easily be emails as well. Emails are, are communication silos um, where it's very hard to bring people in and give them visibility into what you're talking about in an email. Something like one of our tools, Twist or Slack or, or something like that, gives you much more visibility into what teams are doing. Mm. Cool. Thanks for that. I know there are some challenges with challenges within that as well, right? Like, I mean, you have to have meetings sometimes. You have to have one-on-one calls with certain people sometimes. Yeah, you know, there are exceptions. I think it's very difficult to say we're 100% asynchronous and we never have meetings and you guys <laughs> must have meetings, right? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's 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 changing the the default, right? So the default mechanism should be async and the exception to the rule should be meeting. And if you just change that mindset and you question, does this need to be a meeting or would we do it better async? Um, this is the, this is the process we want to create. Cool. Thanks for sharing some of your expertise around that. Um, I wanted to hear what your daily life is like in Spain. Like what, what is daily life like there? What do you most like about it? Why have you been there for four years as opposed to any other place in the world? (laughs) Yeah, I, uh, I settled here in Valencia after I'd come here for a few months. Um, and uh, in Spain and traveled around a few times and really liked it, but I'd never been to Valencia. And along the way, somebody said, hey, if you ever come back, you should definitely go to Valencia. I, th- I think you'd like it. 
Um, and so when we were filling out our visa applications, uh, we got a one-year visa to come live in Spain, which as an American, I thought was the end-all be-all. That's my that's the best thing I can ever get to, to live in Europe, to spend any more than my 90 days in which Europe. Which visa was that? It's called the non-lucrative visa. Does it and still exist? It does still exist. Um, I will say they've made some changes to it just recently, uh, which is good and bad for people in a similar situation. Um, it was designed for pensioners, retirees who had a fixed income and could come here and live but not work. So you're not allowed to physically have a job in Spain. You can't take a Spanish job. But you can, if you have an income coming from outside of the country, then you can come, come and use that visa. But because of the emergence of digital nomads and traveling and, uh, and, and remote work, they have created a dedicated digital nomad visa, which they are trying to push more of us into now. I'm beyond it. I'm getting ready to transfer into permanent residency, so I don't have to deal with the, the implications there. But for new people applying for this visa, for new remote workers, they would probably want to look at the new digital nomad visa, but non-lucrative could still be an option. Cool. Back to daily life. Oh, uh, yeah. Sorry. So anyway, um, <laughs> just just giving, a, I guess, a bit of backstory on why we settled in Valencia, because the idea was to come here for three months and then uh, move on and do do three months in three or four different places around Spain. And uh, we just picked Valencia first because we had to pick it in our visa meeting. They said, you pick some place right now. We have to put it on your application. We said, OK, we'll do Valencia. Um, and then we got here and we, we travel with a 50 pound, 23 kilo uh, Siberian Husky that uh, has crisscrossed the Atlantic and the equator multiple times. And he's not that easy to move around. <laughs> it's, it's, not, uh, it's not a very simple process. And so after we got here, after going through all that for the millionth time, we were like falling in love with Valencia. And we were like, why are we going to keep doing that? Um, keep moving around. Like, let's just stay here. Let's, ha let's have Valencia be our home base. And we'll just travel a lot from here. And so that's, that's essentially what we've done. And um, and one year turned into two and then two turned into four and now we're getting permanent residency. And so, um, do you guys who, buy you know, a place there or do you rent? We, we rent. Um, we, uh, we've, we've looked into buying, we've made an offer actually on a place just recently that didn't, didn't go through. Um, but yeah, right for, for now we're renting cause we're still, we have itchy feet. I mean, in, in fact, we're getting ready to set out on a five to six plus month, uh, trip around Europe and um, and sort of scouting out some some other places that could potentially be be the next stop. But we're super happy here in Valencia too. I mean, we're not running away from Valencia. It's more just like, huh, what's what's on the other side of, of that border? But yeah, I mean, daily life. I've settled into the Spanish lifestyle. I I act, I wake up a good bit earlier than than most, and usually start my day around like seven or eight. But I take a long three to four hour break in the middle of the day have some lunch, exercise, uh, travel, you know, tr maybe travel to a little village close by or something if I want to check out something different and um, maybe check out the beach when the when the weather's good and uh, and then come back in the afternoon for a few hours. I've made made good friends here. I go to a co-working, which has been great for social life. And yeah, just just enjoy the, the sunshine here in Valencia. Nice. Is your Siberian Husky enjoying the sunshine? Must be hot <laughs> with all that fur. You know, he lived in, uh, he's lived in Miami. He's lived in Ecuador. He's lived, so he's, he's kind of, uh, kind of used to it. I, I think, but no, we, you do have to be careful. And actually normally during the summers, it's our, we escape to the, to the Pyrenees or the Alps or something, um, and, and get him out of here during, 
July. Yeah. I, I use him as an excuse. I mean, I, you know, I like going to the right, Pyrenees right. and the Alps we gotta, too. <laughs> we got to travel for, uh, what's his name? Cody? Coda. Yeah. Coda. Yeah. Coda needs a break from Spain. Yes. Rough life. <laughs> a couple last quick questions. What do you find is the hardest thing for you to do? Um, the hardest thing, one of the most challenging things for me is to figure out what the long-term plan is. Um, this nomadic lifestyle is addicting. And at the same time, I have desire to settle into a place. I really value my routine. I really value having a close-knit group of friends and a community. And, and so balancing those two things, you know, we, we talked earlier about, you know, trying to be back there being, you know, back home, home for, for important events and parts of being, continuing to be a part of people's lives that are close to you. Um, but then also just having this undesired, like this, this thing you can't deny, which is this desire to be in an international place and live in different countries and continue exploring. And so balancing those two things is, is one of the hardest things. Like if I could just let one of those two sides go, it would make Mm -hmm. life so much easier. (laughs) Yeah. I don't know if that resonates for you at all, but that's, that's a challenge for me. Yeah. During my nomad days when I was coming to the end of it, I was really trying to decide what to do. And it was a really hard, yeah, there were, there were times cause I spent 10 years on the road. There were times when I felt the pull of like, Oh, well maybe I should, you know, just settle down somewhere. And those times were partially influenced by maybe external forces. Sometimes it was just the desire of just wanting to be in one place. Cause I was just tired of traveling around all the time. It, it was helpful for me to kind of realize that, yeah, you can commit to like smaller amounts of time for things and then just let it go. That was really the only way I could let it go, you know? Um, because if you're like trying to figure it out for your whole life, it's just too overwhelming for me personally. That was a way to kind of reframe it, but yeah, it's tough. I mean, hashtag first world problems, right? Yeah. I mean, nobody's going to feel bad for you. No, (laughs) no, but I mean, you know, it's, it's part of the life and, yeah, I mean, making those decisions, it, it's its tough when a decision is weighing on you or you feel like it is, even though there's no immediate pressure for you guys to like, you know, nobody's looking over your shoulder being like, you guys have to decide something by next week, you know? It's all self-imposed, right? <laughs> yeah, it's all self-imposed <laughs> and, and it's also like, you know, I, I say this kind of half jokingly, but like society, you know, you have these like social pressures that you believe you have to live by. And even though you've bucked some of those and and moved on and lived a little bit unconventionally, they still linger in there. You know, like, like, should you, should you be owning a home instead of renting? Yeah, should, yeah. You, yeah. should you be? It's in your bones. Yeah. It's in your bones. If, if you whatever know? you were brought up with culturally can, yeah. it, it gets in there. Yeah. Another like real life challenge is like when you don't know where you're going to be long-term, how do you plan for things like retirement? Um, like this is not a fun topic to talk about, but like, I'm right now, you know, like, okay, do I do say, do I pay into the pension system here in Spain? Am I going to be here for forever? Or is that just money down the drain if I'm not going to be here for forever? But then should I be paying back in the US where it's kind of a rough situation with, with, with those regards? Like you have to think about these things. And, um, and again, if you just had, if you knew what you were going to do, it would be, it would be so much easier. And I think the majority of people more or less do know what their future looks like, you know, for the next 10, 20, 30 years. And, uh, and I, I definitely can't say that. I mean, I, I don't know what the next six months to a year look like. So 
that and that's what's so great about it. Yeah, right. <laughs> it is. It's what it's what drives me. It's what makes me smile today. So it's uh, you just follow that and try to do all the smart things that you can, you know, al- along the way. But recognize there's some risk involved. Tranquilo. Is this, an, is this an intervention in reverse? I'm going to have an intervention here. Listen, stop worrying. Tranquilo, baby. Don't worry Tranquilo. about it. We got to re- see. I got to revert to that. It's I'm going to have to write it back on my forearm again. You don't need to decide. And speaking of sharing, now would be a good time to just kind of let everybody know where to find you and all that good stuff. Yeah. Um, so if the remote work stuff resonated with you, then I, I talk a lot about this uh, on LinkedIn and uh, the community that I'm involved with there. So you can find me on LinkedIn by searching Chase Warrington. We also have an awesome blog at Doist. Uh, It's blog.doist.com with an incredible remote work section. Uh, Whether you're looking for remote work or you want to figure out how to scale your remote team, um, lots of tools, processes, best practices to share there and tons of uh, user success stories and things of that nature. Um, I'm also somewhat active now on Twitter. Thanks for reading a, a tweet earlier. I'm, I'm a recovering, uh, coming back to Twitter user as of recently. And, uh, and so that's a, a place you can connect with me at DC Warrington there and at DC Warrington on Instagram. And uh, finally, my, my, the podcast is aboutabroad.com, um, available wherever you get your podcasts. <laughs> About life abroad. What has the podcasting taught you? Oh man, I've learned so much. Uh, it's it's been incredible. I mean, just the actual process of creating a podcast and and being a I'm not a naturally I'm not an artist by in any way, shape, or form. My wife is actually an artist by by trade, um, so I can for sure say I am not an artist. But it has given me this creative outlet that I didn't even know I had. Um, I've gotten all into you know the design of the I mean the not just the show itself but and and the art of being a host and all that but like the tools to use and the the design of the website and the marketing assets and um and all those things so I've learned so much not to mention just talking to incredible people that uh have some really inspiring stories practical tips about oh here's how you you know, can live in Vietnam for a while if you want or, or whatever. So I, uh, I just, I've gained so much from it and it's awesome that it's become a little, a little business as well, but, um, it's just pure fun for me as I, as I imagine it is for you as well. Yes, absolutely. Love it. Well, cool. I mean, it's always great to see and meet somebody putting content out there that's helping other people live life abroad and uh, with all of your work around remote work and helping people in that way. So really appreciate your time today and everything you shared and look forward to staying in touch. Of course, I'm going to be on your show. So if you want to hear the tables turned, doing a little show swap situation here, um, you can tune in and check that out as well if, if you're so inclined. So thanks so much for your time, Chase. Yeah, thank you, Jason. It was it was awesome, and uh, and again, I want to thank you because you were you know one of the uh, original podcasters on these subjects that I uh, started tuning into years ago. And so, thanks for all you're doing, and uh, keep on inspiring, man. It's awesome. Sure, thanks, man. That's just because I'm old. <laughs> that was what was that was the real point of that one. <laughs> all right, well, we're gonna keep it tranquilo. Have a great uh, day, and thanks for your time. you have it. Thank you so much for your time, Chase. Hope you enjoyed our chat. I'm feeling tranquilo, baby. I'm feeling tranquilo. What a great word. <laughs> Did this inspire you to come up with a word for the rest of your year? Perhaps you're going to steal Chase's word like I did. <laughs> anyway, thanks to him. And you can check out his podcast, About Abroad. 
where you get podcasts. Now, a couple things here. I have to share this moment when a city really comes alive. Now, this is from a book I recently read called Time and Again. And the book was pretty good. I know Stephen King recommended it as his favorite time travel book, and I love the time travel genre. I don't know why. Maybe because it has something to do with some kind of travel that I can't do. (laughs) I just realized that. Sorry, I'm cracking myself up now. It's like, hey, there's a travel that I can't do, and I really want to do all the types of travel you can do. So time travel, the only way to do it right now that I know of is, well, I guess you can do it a bit in your mind, right? I do that quite often. <laughs> Just ask my wife. And I suppose through through these books. So anyway, this book, Time and Again, let me read this paragraph from this book. The narrator says, I once talked with a friend who'd spent a vacation in Paris. Like most people, he loved the city, walking it every day till his legs trembled, pleased with nearly everything he saw. But it wasn't till he'd been there nearly two weeks that one morning... Paris and its people suddenly became something more than a background for his vacation. He was sitting in a cafe out on the walk, having a tiny cup of Paris-tasting, Paris-smelling coffee, watching traffic stream by, pleased as always with the countless people on bikes, expertly threading their way between and around the cars and buses and trucks. Then a traffic light changed, the stream stopped and waited, and a man on a bike, one foot on the pavement, lifted his arm and wiped his forehead with the back of his hand. And he turned real. In that instant, he was no longer a quaint part of the charming background. He turned into a real man, tired from pumping the bike. And for the first time, it occurred to my friend that there was a reason so many people picturesquely rode bikes through the heavy traffic. And the reason was to save bus fare and because they couldn't afford cars. After that, for the few days that were left to him there, my friend continued to enjoy Paris. But now it was no longer an immense travel poster but a real city because now so were its people end quote there and that to me it really resonated because i do feel like that is a moment when essentially you take off the rose colored glasses the rose tinted glasses right and you start seeing things for what they really are and it's so easy when you're traveling to get sort of caught up in the just the, to romanticize everything in some ways in a city. And as you walk around, you see it. It's exciting. Everything's new, languages, smells, and all of this stuff. And what this author is describing is that moment where all of that sort of stripped away. And in this case, it was uh, just stripped away from observing one person uh, wiping sweat off of their forehead and then realizing what that meant and, and what that actually was. And seeing things as they actually are. So not so much as a travel poster, as they said in that, but just the reality of the city in that moment and the the people in it. And I thought that was really powerful and I wanted to share it with you just to give us all an opportunity to reflect on what some of those moments might have been in our own personal travels. And I think it ties in nicely with the subject today about living abroad and when you live abroad and you spend quality time in the city, that inevitably does happen, right? It's less likely to happen, I'd say, if you're spending just a handful of days in the city. You can just live on that romanticized version of the city. It's not like you can't see things for what they are, but I think you know what I mean. But when you live somewhere, you really, the city reveals itself after a period of time. And I don't know. 
just some things to think about. I, I don't really have a point other than sometimes the point is to just give us something to think about or reflect on or consider or ponder, whatever the case may be for you. So hope you enjoyed that. Now a quote on risk from Neil Simon. <laughs> I like this one. He said, if no one ever took risks, Michelangelo would have painted the Sistine floor. There <laughs> you go. Have a wonderful day. Smile. Maybe take a risk. I don't know. And I'll see you next time. Peace and love. Cheers. This podcast has been brought to you by ZeroToTravel.com. Ideas and advice to make your travel dreams a reality. 